We have even more different things that we're going to do today. So I'm going to hang out down here for a few minutes uh, with you and uh, invite you, if you would, to uh, turn to the uh, passage uh, in Isaiah that we've been looking at for the past several weeks, Isaiah chapter 6. And as you uh, arrive at that location, I'll invite you to uh, bow your heads with me, close your eyes, but uh, open your hearts as we listen together for God's word. Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, thank you for being a God who speaks to us. Thank you for being a God who is here and present and active. Thank you for a God who longs to be uh, with your people. And so, Lord, help us to be receptive and attentive and aware of your presence today. Help us to hear your voice and to have the, the kinds of eyes that can see you. Help us to have the courage to respond in obedience. Help us to be uh, men and women and children uh, who long to be with you as much as you long to be with us. So, Lord, help that happen just a little bit more in this time and space this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Isaiah chapter 6, as you know, we've been doing a little uh, series. Uh, what started off as, uh, in my head, one sermon um, I quickly realized it was three or four or maybe, maybe more, but we're going we're gonna to call it good after today. Uh, so we're just going to look at the, uh, um, the end of this text here today. Uh, if you look with me at uh, verse 6 of Isaiah 6, then one of the, so Isaiah has just had this experience of seeing the presence of God, uh, then one of the seraphim uh, flew over to the altar and he picked up a burning coal with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. And then I heard the voice of the Lord asking, whom should I send as a messenger to my people? Who will go for us? And I said, Lord, I'll go. Send me. And then God said, yes, go. But tell my people this. So you should never hire, you know, hire on for a job until you hear the full job description. He's about to get the job description. Ready? So here it is. You will hear my words, but you will not understand. So uh, who wants to be a preacher? Okay, I'll do it. Okay, people are going to hear my words and never understand a thing you're saying. And then uh, you will see what I do, but you will not understand its meaning. And then this, harden the hearts of the people, close their ears and shut their eyes. That way they will not see with their eyes, hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn to me for healing. Then I said, Lord, um, how long will I be doing this? That's great. I mean, right? Um, how long will this be going on? And he says this, until their cities are destroyed and no one is left in them, until their houses are deserted and the whole country isn't is an utter wasteland. Uh, do not stop until the Lord has sent everyone away to distant lands, and the entire land of Israel lies deserted. We'll ask God to bless this reading, his holy and inspired word. Amen. So this is a series that we've been uh, engaged in, thinking about what does it mean for us to actually have an encounter with the living God. In other words, uh, the question that we've been asking is, have you experienced God in your life? Has God shown up in your life in, a, uh, in an unmistakable way? 
Are you clear about the idea that God for you is a lived, real presence and not just a concept, not just an idea, not just a philosophy? And so uh, a number of weeks ago we began, uh, and the first word that we looked at was this idea of God's glory. We said, you will know that you have had an experience with God, you have encountered God, when God's glory is present in your life. And, and the Hebrew word for God's glory is the, uh, has with it the idea of heaviness or weightiness, massiveness. And the idea is that when God's glory is dropped into your life, everything else is displaced by God. Everything else is shuffled around and moved and, and rearranged. Everything else is reorganized because the massive, glorious presence of God has come into your life in the tidal wave of that presence is changing everything. Uh, you have different dreams, different goals, different ambitions, different longings. Uh, your heart will be changed. Your mind will be changed. Your relationships will be changed. Your priorities will be changed. When the glory of God, the weight of God is in your life, when you have met the living presence of God, you are changed. So that was a few weeks ago. Then uh, last time we uh, spent some time thinking about God's holiness. Uh, when you come into the presence of God and you begin to experience the holiness of God, something begins to happen. Uh, one of the things that we said was, uh, when you come into the presence of God, longing to know God for who he is, loving God for his holiness, uh, you are beginning to love God uh, on God's own terms. Uh, instead of coming to God and saying, uh, you know, I'm into you for what I can get out of you. I need you to do these things for me. Here's my agenda. Here's my program. Uh, these are the ways that I need you to, to uh, uh, sort of supply for me. Uh, all of those things, uh, none of those are bad in and of themselves, but the, the, the center of worship, the center of being drawn into the presence of God is to come into the presence of God and just love God's sheer holiness. Love God for who God is in and of God's self. In other words, God's holiness doesn't do anything for you. It's not like power that can give you something. It's not like uh, mercy that can forgive you. God's holiness is just God in God's own self. In fact, the only thing that we get from God's holiness is terror. And that's exactly what happens for Isaiah. Right? We saw that when Isaiah comes in and he sees the holy, holy, holy God. What does he say? He says, I am undone. I am absolutely destroyed. I'm gutted. Why? Because compared to the holiness, the perfection, the dazzling beauty of God, he says, not only, uh, not only is there a problem around me, not only is my nation broken, not only are my people wicked, but I'm broken, and I'm wicked, and I'm a part of the problem. He said, and not just the worst parts of me, but the very best parts of me. He said, my lips, my lips the, 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 the instrument of my leadership, the instrument of my influence, the, the, the place of power for me, right? The best gift that I have, my lips are unclean and I'm undone. And just as he's about to collapse and wither, as soon as he makes that confession, we see in the story that this fire from God comes blazing towards him, the coal in the hand of the seraphim, and the seraphim touches this coal to his lips. And you have to imagine that Isaiah is absolutely terrified in that moment. I am going to be destroyed by this blazing, holy, glorious presence of God. And instead of being destroyed, what happens? There's a momentary sting, and then he hears the words, You are forgiven. 
you're cleansed, you're renewed, you're restored, and he realizes that he's alive. Now, the third word that we encounter is a word we hear today, and that's the word grace. Because Isaiah is going to experience a moment of grace. How do we see that grace? Well, first of all, we have to recognize that whenever we have an actual encounter with the living God, it will never just be an internally focused experience. Whenever we have an encounter with the living God, it will not just be for our own sort of navel-gazing, introspection, uh, personal experience with God between God and me. Uh, Whenever we have an experience with God, whenever we encounter the living God, there will always at some point be a sending. There will always be a commissioning. There will always be a mission. There will always be an invitation to get into action around something that God is inviting us to do. And that's exactly what happens here. And so as soon as Isaiah hears the words, you are cleansed, you are restored, you're renewed, what happens? He hears the next word, who will go? Who will go? It's as if God is saying, listen, I have this little mission that I'm doing. I have a project in the world. I'm putting the world back together again. I'm putting the world right again. I'm renewing the world around you. And I'd like you to help me. I'd like you to be a part of that. Now, think about where Isaiah has been mentally and emotionally in this story so far. He has just had this encounter with God. He sees the glory of God. Everything that he understands about himself, everything that he understands about reality has been shifted and displaced. He's seen the holiness of God. He recognizes his brokenness. He recognizes his uh, utter bankruptcy. He's been restored. He's been cleansed. And now God is saying, I have this mission project for you to get onto. And then Isaiah says, yes. Now, I have to imagine that for a minute, uh, he looked around and just wondered, is there anybody else in the room, right? When, you know, when God says, who shall I send? Who shall I send? Right? Maybe he, Isaiah has this idea that maybe there's a whole crowd of people that have wandered in behind me. And God is really, you know, it's not rhetorical. He's really saying, who shall we send? Who shall we choose to do this, right? Who will be the next uh, Sunday school superintendent? Let's see if we can just pick one, right? Uh, and, and he looks around. He says, well, there's nobody else in the room. Uh, and, but then he says, I'll do it. Send me. Why? Why does he have the capacity to do that? Why does he have the capacity to get onto mission and to respond to God's invitation? Because he's experienced the grace of God. See, here's what's happened. In a flash, Isaiah's entire self-understanding, his entire life has been completely deconstructed and then reconstructed again. In just a flash of a moment, he's completely changed. And this is the change. Up until this moment, he has always judged himself according to a standard. He's always had some standard that he's used to judge himself. Um, he's, he's seen the uncleanness, the brokenness, the problems in, the, in Israel, the people around him. And he said, uh, they have a mess going on out there. Things are not good out there. This isn't good. He, he's had a standard. He's a part of the cultural elite. He knows what he can do. He knows what he's good at. And, and uh, if you do not have an experience of grace you will judge yourself according to some standard. You'll have some standard of behavior, some standard of operating, and you'll say, uh, this is the standard. And when I'm living up to that standard, whether that's external, somebody else that you admire, or uh, somebody else around you, um, you know, you're either going to say, at least I'm not that, or hey, I'm doing pretty well. And as long as you're living up to your standard, how do you feel? 
you have a standard and you're living up to your standard, you feel pretty good. You feel pretty solid. You feel pretty, um, you feel pretty confident. You feel like you've got it together. If you're living up to your standard, you feel powerful. You feel successful. You'll be all of those things, but you won't be humble. Uh, if you're living up to your standard, you won't be humble. You'll have arrogance. And on the other hand, if, you're, if you have a standard and you're not living up to your standard, right, if you're not achieving the standard that you've set for yourself, then you might be sensitive, you might be humble, uh, you might have understanding and patience with other people, uh, but you won't have confidence. So you'll either have confidence or arrogance if you have a standard that you're trying to live up to. And this was the life of Isaiah. And then grace comes. And now there's no standard. Now it's just grace. And when grace comes, I can be both confident and humble. I can be both engaged and strong, and I can be sensitive and understanding. I can be both at the same time, because grace absolutely abolishes the standard. And so what happens is, when I begin to step out into mission with God, and I begin to see things happening, I see success, I see fruitfulness, I see uh, impact, I see God at work. Now I'm not arrogant about that. I'm just simply confident and I enjoy it, but I still have humility because I recognize it isn't me, but it's God who's working through me. And on the other hand, um, if I take on the job description that Isaiah was just given, I can step out into mission, I can step out into ministry, I can follow God where he's calling me to go and invest in the ways that he's calling me to invest. And when I don't see fruitfulness, when I don't see impact, when I don't see anything come of it, I'm not destroyed by it because it isn't me. I'm just simply a sinner who's saved and redeemed by grace as well. I don't have a standard that I have to live to. So when Isaiah encounters the grace of God, he, for the very first time, has the capacity to respond in obedience with both confidence and humility to the mission, to the call that God has for him. So I want to say just two more things, and then I'll get really practical. We're going to have a short conversation. Two, two quick things. Um, people say, well, how do I have that encounter? Um, how do I know what the mission is for me? Two things I want to say about that. One is, uh, don't miss the point that Isaiah is in the temple, that Isaiah has gone to worship. Uh, there, there's, a, there's always a connection in the Bible uh, between uh, people of God who come and do the thing that they know to do so that God can invite them to do the thing that they have not yet heard. So Isaiah knows to go to the temple. Isaiah knows to go to worship. He knows to create time and space to pay attention to God and to be in the places where God says God will be. And he does that. And so it's no accident that when we think about our worship services together, that we aren't just thinking about a list of things to come and do or a menu of things that we need to get through or wouldn't it be nice if, since everybody is together, we just you know uh, covered a couple of things. Um, uh, Worship isn't a checklist, right? Worship is a space and a time where God says, I will be there. I will be with you. And when we create the time and the space to meet God in that space, when we come and, 
and have the, the, the story of Isaiah become our story, where we, where we come into the presence of God and we see the glory of God and we let the glory of God uh, uh, just sort of rattle around in our life and displace and reorganize and redistribute things. We see the holiness of God and we have a confession. We did that this morning. And then after the confession, uh, if we're paying attention, we can, we can feel the, 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 the heat of the coal touch our lips. And we can hear the voice of God say, you're cleansed, you're forgiven, you're renewed. You're not destroyed. And then if we listen to the word of God, if we listen to what God might be saying, we're going to hear an invitation. We're going to hear a question from God where God says, who shall I send? Who will go and do this? Who will be my people? Who will, who will carry this message? Who will embody my kingdom? And then we have an opportunity after we hear that message to say, here I am. We always have an opportunity to respond. So we create every single week time and place to meet with God where God says he will be. And that's what Isaiah does. When I don't know what God's invitation for me is, the first thing that I think about is, have I made time to worship? Not just a checklist, but have I entered into worship? Have I come to the place where I know God will be? Because he's promised to be there. And then the second thing is this. In the Bible, there's always a reciprocal relationship between worship and mission. And so not only do I sometimes come into worship and find that I'm getting launched into mission with clarity, with a new encounter with grace, so I have both confidence and boldness and humility, not only do I come to worship and get launched uh, into mission, but sometimes I come into mission and I get launched into worship. Uh, sometimes uh, in the scriptures we find that uh, when Jesus invites people to follow him and get onto mission, they suddenly find that as they step out onto mission, they're experiencing the presence of God. They're drawn into a place where they worship God. And so Jesus says to his disciples, the very last commandment that he gives to them, he says, I want you to go into the world. I want you to be the sent out ones. I want you to go and to teach and to baptize and to disciple. And as you go, what does he say? I will be with you. Where is Jesus? Where do we encounter him? We encounter him as we go, as we engage mission. Now, that's a still fairly high-level theoretical concept. What does it look like to actually hear God's invitation to join God on mission and then to step out into that mission? So we want to have a conversation. And uh, Beth is going to join me, and I think Michelle. Is Michelle here? Michelle, are you going to join us too? Let's come. Let's do it. All right, we have a couple of microphones, and we're going to talk a little bit about this uh, for about uh, 10 minutes. And you guys can sit on the stools. Great. All right. So I'm going to start with Beth. Um, you had, um, you've been on a journey of discerning uh, God's invitation to you. Um, I think it started in faith walking, uh, where we talk a lot about the idea that God has a mission uh, for you to be responsive to. Um, and then we started having a conversation about what does that look like for me? How do I do that? Where could my mission possibly be? 
Uh, am I really included in that? All of those things. And um, you've, you've started to get some clarity about that uh, in some big ways. So tell a little bit of that story about how we got here, and we'll talk about what you're doing. Um, I started um, faith walking four years ago about, um, and part of the faith walking process is, are you, um, are you living the, your life the way Jesus would have you live your life? Are, um, if Jesus was living your life, how would he live your life? How would he live things out? Um, and so I was thinking about um, loving neighbors and what can I do? Um, at that point, I had three children and one on the way. And um, what could what could God possibly do with me um, or in my life or what could I have to add? And um, it took me quite a long time to figure figure out what could be my place. Because really, I mean, very um, frankly, it's really simple to assume if I have kids, my kids are my mission, and I shouldn't and couldn't look any anywhere else. But you didn't stop there. <laughs> I didn't stop. I got crazy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I I started thinking about um, my family and health and um, growing vegetables and food for my family and um, and then expanded it to think about um, school and teaching the kids at school um, about vegetables and growing food and then we had this big opportunity and um, and I. Tim actually said, hey, we could do this like huge thing where we grow a ton of vegetables. And I was like, okay, that sounds great. <laughs> um, so last year we started um, Phoenix Farm and um, started uh, being aware of our neighbors here in Midland County and how many people struggle to put food on the table and how healthy food is um, difficult um, to get, and so we had space where we could grow big vegetables and a lot of them, and so um, we planted um, a quarter acre, or half an acre, um, half an acre last year. Um, yeah. So as so, I, I fully believe that God speaks to us through our spouses. Absolutely, that's my experience, <laughs> almost constantly. Um, it's and it's usually not a two-way street. Usually, you know, God's voice only comes one direction. How how did you how did you know, or how are you coming to know that this is God's voice in your life that you've encountered God in this? I think um, the clarity comes um, partly. I've made space um, with times of solitude and times of making time to hear God. Um, also. It fills me with joy and peace. Um, and the provision um, God has provided in so many big ways. Um, so many people have come to support. Um, it has not been easy, but it has been when I ask for things or even write down, hey, I need this, and somebody finds it by the side of the road. <laughs> so, um, and just the support, um, joining God in his work, um, it doesn't, it's not all of the things that I do, um, but seeing God provide um, in huge ways, I feel 
I feel God is in it. That's great. And you've had some uh, encounters uh, because of this uh, mission. How how has this impacted you, Michelle? While listening to Beth talk, or is taking me back to some conversations that we had, um, I remember being in her backyard and we were reading together while she was pregnant and talking about trying to find our mission. She's found a big mission. I have not, um, but that is okay because through this process, I've been able to be a friend. Um, and last year, I don't have a lot of time or energy or resources to give, um, but last year, I got to join in, and some of the ways that I've been able to help, I've been able to come out to the farm, and I've been able to bring my children. Now, granted, my children are not necessarily the most enthusiastic gardeners, um, so we usually get five to ten minutes, but one of the things that is out there at Phoenix Farms is a wonderful area for the kids to explore and to play in, and so Beth and I have been able to work side by side while our children work do the work of children playing and imagining and climbing and building things and exploring. Um, We've been able to bring um, several friends of ours, children, um, out. And while I was working in the garden while the DeVries were on vacation, uh, I've been able to invite other kids into that. Um, My eldest daughter has also, she's very intrigued by this idea of gardening. And one of the things that she's working on this year with some of her Um, Girl Scout Friends, is actually a pollinator garden project. And so it's been very exciting to do that. Um, And one of the other things that's been really neat is this year, um, one of my roles has been to be a friend. Um, So once a week, Beth and I get together, and we walk and we run, and we listen. I get to listen and support my friend in a really cool way. That's great. And what time do you run, just to be clear? 5.30 5.30 in the morning. Okay, so anybody who wants to run at 5.30. If 5:30, I wake up. Yeah. So what, earlier. What, so I, there are two, two things I love about that. One is um, you're part of the answer to the prayer, right? You're part of the answer to Beth's prayer. When she said, I need uh, um, to step out in this. I, I can't do this alone. Um, I need God's provision. And you're uh, flesh and bone, uh, living, breathing provision from God. So thank you for being that. And what I also love about it is your deliberateness about saying, uh, if anybody could say, my kids are my mission, right? I mean, right? My kids are my mission. But what you've said is not my mission is to my kids, but my mission is with my kids, right? And you're modeling that uh, so that your kids grow up to be people who can also listen to God's voice and be responsive to God's invitation. I love that. That's great. What else do you want us to know, um, Beth? Throw it back to you and give you the final word. We have some big goals for this year. Yeah. Um, we're hoping to grow a ton of vegetables Um, we're literally 2,000 pounds is what we're hoping for. So we're going to try to measure that. Um, we're hoping to provide eight to 10 dozen eggs a week. So we have chickens. If you want to adopt a chicken or a chicken care day, that is available. Um, we're going to do some education about, um, growing food and preparing food and preserving food. Um, that's something that I grew up with is, um, preserving food, and I think it's an art that is um, really special. Um, and we need volunteers, um, and we are, we're doing some regular gardening days, Tuesdays and Friday mornings, um, but we're also we're going to have fifth Sundays 
um, going to be at Phoenix Farm. That's an opportunity to join us, um, and we're going to do some construction projects and some weeding, which I heard everybody loves weeding. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, how how will you know that there's fruitfulness in this work? What will you see? Um, uh, I think that I think this is already the fruitfulness of this work. Um, building relationships, um, making it a magical place for children. Can I say community as well? Um, at the potluck a, several weeks ago, one of the people that I discovered there was one of my neighbors. And we talk a lot when we're outside, um, but we actually at the potluck for the first time exchanged telephone numbers, um, and we've been texting back and forth since then. Um, and so community in so many different ways. And I know that last year, Phoenix Farm and the fruitfulness of the plant didn't exactly happen the way that we all hoped that it would. But watching the way that God has worked in this past year has been pretty cool. Thank you. My hope, my heart for each of you as your pastor is that you will know what it means to be in the presence of a holy God, to hear God's invitation to you come and to say, join me, I have this little job that I'm doing and you're perfect for it. I will give you everything you need. I will supply your needs and don't pay attention to some standard of success or failure because it's all about grace. My heart for you is that you will hear and experience God's presence in your life in precisely that way. Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, thank you.